Well, listen. Yeah, Kate. We got a, we got comics to talk about, boys. Zipped in, tipped in, talking to you. Looking, look. I just want to sort of kneel around the fire with us. <clears throat> poke at the, poke at the fire. Podcast episode 120, the Pacific Northwest premier comic book podcast, giving you everything that you need to know about. Well, I guess at this point, rectal health. Honestly, <laughs> good luck getting a good intro out of that, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dirk Wood. <laughs> where every week we talk about a bunch of the comic books that we've picked up and have sorted and, and filed and given to our customers, and then gotten uh, home and excitedly read ourselves. This is the third week in a row of books arriving late, and it's also a week where the day that they were supposed to come in, Django and I woke up and flew to North Carolina and attended a comic book retailer convention called Comics Pro. I was there. And he is doing a character voice that is based on a person that was there and therefore resonates with no one unless you know that guy. I don't care. They're going to love me by the end of this, Jeff. I was pretty unsure about me before and then halfway through our interactions with Django and Jeff. Talk about committing to the bit. Man, they liked me a lot. We sure did like him a lot. But the person that we really walked away from Comics Pro in love with? DC's own... Stuart Shrek. Oh, oh, Stuart, we really like you. We really like you. I know you're not going to hear this, but come October, when it's Shrektober, we're doing a all Shrek, all Stuart Shrek, all perfectly acceptable podcast episode. Shrektober, episode one, two, three, four, and maybe five. Depending on how many days are in Shrektober. Now, now, now tell me and the, the, the readers, the, I mean the listeners, uh, they're viewers. Why you like viewers, readers, listeners, viewers, same thing. Um, why you guys like Stuart Shrek so much? I can't put a word to it. Um, <laughs> he's, who, he's just a nice guy. Who, who is he? What's his title? He's uh, he's one of the higher up monkey mucks at DC. He's a guy that they send out to all their conventions to be doing their. Actually, I think he's sort of in charge of periodicals. I think he's in charge of like graphic novels and stuff like that. Django's going to like pull up his title on his phone here. Look it up. You describe his love for wrestling that resonates with you so much. Well, he deeply loves wrestling, mm. but he also... He's the manager of sales. He's the manager of sales. Mm. A sales <clears throat> manager, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Talk. But it, it took us no time. Like, like, oh yeah, that, that goofy guy's with DC. And then <laughs> as soon as you actually interact with him, you're like, oh, he's like the sweetest guy in the world. He's so sweet. And he knows his shit. And he knows his shit. <laughs> I def. I'm gonna tag Shrek. <laughs> Are you gonna tag me? Yeah, I'm gonna tag you too, Dirk. <laughs> you, Dirk Wood. What a what a great Dirk thing. Dirk Wood. That sounds like a pseudonym for a '70s porn star. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, Django had we said. We have no proof it's not. <laughs> yeah, Django had said, if I had another child in my life, I would name him Dirk Wood. <laughs> it was. I forgot about. That. Very good. Uh, the long and short of it, everybody, is that we had a fantastic time. What was your favorite moment? What was your favorite, like, two-hour bit? Man, my favorite two-hour bit? I really liked sitting in the room and watching two of the power retailers, like, two of the probably the most either thoughtful or loud retailers in the industry talk. 
So we had uh, Brian Hibbs showed up and kind of threw a bomb into the room, which is what he's known for. He's a big, big retailer from <clears throat> California, but he's most famous for being the person who, like, sued Marvel? He sued Diamond. He sued Diamond I and think. got the FOC to be created. So that we can huh. tweak our orders two weeks or three, 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 three to four, four weeks, weeks before, before they, they come they out. Come out. Yeah. Um, and he also has a very successful book club mm-hmm. uh, that we're going to... Steal the, the form ideas of. from him. I mean, share the <laughs> format of. Um, and then uh, also Phil Boyle, who has like a, a whole run of, uh, he's got like six or eight comic stores in Florida area. And uh, just watching those guys come up and, and say their their things about about the industry and things directly to publishers mostly. And we're not really allowed to talk about most of what happened at the at the convention. It's a good thing you told um, me that because I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't get into specifics on, on any of it. it. It'll all filter out, I'm sure, but I don't want to be the guy that does it. Um, so, yeah, just like watching those guys do their thing was really inspiring. I really liked uh, two two times. Mine are a little less serious than that. Uh, I really, really liked this crazy fucking auction where all the retailers got drunk on publishers' money and, and had by, an auction. By drunk, you mean drunk. Like drunk. Like D-R-O-N-K. Every, every like big retailer just drinking and drinking and <clears throat> drinking and therefore bidding stupid amounts of money on crazy things like <laughs> original Frank Miller art or... Stan Sakai art or Darwin Cook sketches or Django bought 1993 <laughs> promotional material from DC and Marvel about how to what? It it was like pamphlets that they sent out to freelancers. So it's like like a newsletter that they would send out giving them, you know, new rules or tips or whatever. I haven't read them all yet, but uh, it's just like the kind of uh, sideways obscura that I really love about any industry, really. Like, if, if I could find that uh, distributed at a, uh, like, through a record label about how radio DJs should talk about Tool, you would mm. fucking love that, right? And it, this is the kind of the same thing. Like, here's this deep industry thing that is completely irrelevant at this point. But just to watch where things come from, I love I love listening to old takes of Bob Dylan listening clearly, to rewrite things clearly, as he sings. as he got it, we both turned to each other and mentioned, <laughs> that was just for Justin. That was just so that Justin will have something to make fun of Django for. It's a $125 <laughs> gag. You're yeah. welcome, Justin. <laughs> so that was super, super fun. And just sort of like wandering around. Like, listen, everybody, don't do drugs. Don't drink alcohol. Straight edge life for me. Living in the sun, shine of the sun. Let's all do it. Um, but... Sort of like drunkenly wandering through a room of even more drunk retailers who are sort of yelling obscenities at each other and bidding on things, and you're you're scared because you don't know everybody. But boy, it feels like when you're 15 and you're put in a world that was just sort of nothing but infinite potential and possibility, and you feel like a kid again. That was very good. The other part was when Django and I went to a really shitty barbecue chain and uh, <laughs> Sunny's Sunny's uh, gar- eat Garden of Eaton. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and uh, man, we ate too much really bad meat and uh, it just got kind of food drunk. And because every night with, you know, going to North Carolina, we, I got like f- between four and five hours of sleep a night, never more than five hours of sleep. Um, and just being exhausted and then stuffed with food and then given a beer. 
I I I I think I laughed harder in the last like four days more often than in the last like two months combined from that. You laughed harder around me, that's for sure. That was I I haven't I laughed that hard that frequently in quite a while. I've got a twenty two second uh, little thing for people to hear. It's an audio recording of our meat troubles. We ate so much meat. I can't even call it meat anymore. It's, oh. oh. It's just meat. It's everywhere. It went all the way down. It went down into my... I got meat foot. <laughs> meat foot. Now listen, if that doesn't is that, make... Is that you in the bathroom or something in the background? <laughs> it is. It's me <laughs> screaming while I was trying to poop out meat <laughs> in the hotel room. And if that doesn't make any sense to anybody, it shouldn't. But at the end of that meal, as we were sitting there and about to pay for it, like one of the heads of Titan Comics, turns out had paid for our whole meal. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, that was cool of you. Thanks, Chris. Shout out to Chris. Shout out Titan Chris. Wow, some real community stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got free stuff. So listen, I've got visitors coming in like 45 minutes. We got to make this a short one. They're running early. I'm running late. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Believe believe it or not. Believe it. Uh, Should we tell them what we're going to read? Yeah, we're going to do do a short one. We're actually recording this on Monday, which is why this is coming up a little bit late. But uh, let's quickly do this just so everyone doesn't feel like they missed a week. Uh, We're going to talk about... Oh, sharky number... I can't do it. (laughs) Sharky number one. (laughs) High level number one. The unstoppable wasp number five. Black Badge, number seven, Return of Wolverine, number five, Naomi, number two, and American Carnage, number four, and maybe, if you're lucky, Venom, number 11. Wow, that's a weird sort of putting ourselves on a pedestal. Well, listen, I was... If you're so lucky that you get to spend (laughs) 45 to 50 minutes listening to us... You're welcome, everybody's ears. Oh, (laughs) yeah, you're welcome. Oh, Dirk. (laughs) Oh, Dirk Wood. Sharky the Bounty Hunter, number one. I think we should mention that uh, this episode's spoilers are sponsored by Stuart Shrek himself. Stuart Shrek. Thank you. Thanks a bunch, buddy. Thanks for all the, sp- the, the high fives and the special treatment. Um, if I, I think that what I can ascertain is that his favorite wrestler is Randy Orton. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> Randy Orton. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Randy Orton can be a little bit of a showboat, but yeah. he's pretty darn good. So watch out for spoilers. Sharky, number one. Mark Sharky Miller, Hunter. Simone Bianchi, artist and colorist, lettered by Peter Doherty. Um, this is one of the new Mark Miller books that's been coming out since this Netflix imprint started out. Uh, we've got Magic Order. We've had, I guess, what are the other Netflix ones? Isn't Magic Order it? So far? Magic Order might be the only one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> I dig that. Yeah. All yeah. right. Um, what do you think of this, my my cohort, my cohorty? I I thought that this was basically uh, Lobo, with a mustache and a cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roman Jango and I read this next to each other on an airplane, or maybe he read it when he got home. What do you think of it? Uh. Pretty much what Django said. I liked. I don't know. I, uh, I have a problem with Mark Millar because or Miller. How do you say his name? Both both um, are right. I think Miller Miller. Because um, for me, his first couple issues are always cool ideas, good starts, and then third issue, they crap the bed. Oh my! And then then I don't care anymore. This one, I wasn't even going to read it at first, but, but I like that the Frank art. Whiteley cover. Yeah, Frank Whiteley cover. The main thing I liked. 
I did feel like he was just a knockoff of Lobo, except a little bit nicer, though he doesn't want to admit it. Um, the main thing I liked was this woman he sleeps with, this cyborg yeah. woman that's... Uh, Green? Yeah, that's deci- <laughs> decided to tr- transition into a total machine. Yeah. And yeah. just her dialogue about about transitioning and everything, I thought that was clever. Yeah, and she, I did like that bit when... When he's sort of talking about it. it, seems like a waste of all this like really amazing flesh. And it's like it's flesh that has caused a lot of pain. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was a that's just an, uh, one of those Mark Miller instances uh, demonstrating quite a bit of insight. There's he, yeah, because she for every bit of irreverence, there's a bit of poignancy with him. Yeah, yeah, because she points out to him, well, you know, I, I've always felt this way. Mm-hmm. It's not just a whim. <laughs> I'd like to reread Transmit and see how much of that kind of translates in the same way. You know, because there's a lot of discussion about people transitioning into like half aliens mm-hmm. and and going up into the cloud like uploading their brains and stuff um and it's been so long i, I kind of wonder how much how much of that is going to like fit modern standards of that discussion yeah that's true because uh, i think he's sort of ahead of the times when bringing stuff up with that um so it's yeah interesting <clears throat> to see how it holds up i also really like that scene and and there was a there was a weird sexiness to that that whole scene, um, like having sex with this half car robot, but it it also didn't seem didn't seem totally out there for as out there as it was. I like the gag where he was getting condoms yeah. and uh, he had to he had to specifically request the the ones for uh, people with one penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of uh, could I swap those for the single penis variety? Like he's real quiet and shady about it. And this is, I guess, you know, moderate spoilers, not really, though. One of two books this week that are basically about taking a kid from one spot to another spot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I recognized that, too, when I was reading the other one you're talking about. I I did not love this book nearly as much as I hoped to. I generally like Mark Miller's stuff, and Simone Bianchi's pretty rad. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I, had, I, I felt like it was kind of... Um, just kind of par for the course like you 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 have a very kind of generic setup and very generic jokes and i really hate it when space laws are the same as america laws like kids aren't allowed in the bar well cool guys they figured that out in probably fucking paris or something why didn't they figure it out on another planet yeah and you brought up some other instances of that same thing on the airplane which i I think was uh, like poignant uh, I can't remember what it's usually are, slang but... that jumps out at me most yeah but it's also <clears throat> just uh, yeah I mean she gets turned into a monster truck question it's like monster oh, yeah. truck is what like a fuck? cultural hangover this um, guy's obviously not from earth yeah <laughs> yeah did that stuff bump like or jump out to you Roman it did and it's a general complaint was a lot of science fiction is why, you know, why are they using the same expressions, the same curse words, you know, same monster truck references? Right. How do these, wherever plant that guy, how does he know what a truck is? I mean, <laughs> y'all telling me that Lobo never did that? He probably did, but he's had interactions with Earth since the beginning. All right. Yeah. Okay, Plus, okay. he had his own lingo from his planet, you know, fetal's giz and all this stuff. That oh, yeah. Yeah. That, was specifically Lobo. <laughs> there was a whole lot of Lobo that was. That was uh, made up. Listen, I love you both, but I resent the shit out of you for the deference that you have for Lobo. <laughs> motherfucker, if you read that, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Listen, I'd motherfucker. <laughs> I'd offer to loan you the issues, but that's kind of Django's thing. Dirk, <laughs> shut up. Um, yeah, I I wasn't super pumped for it. I started liking it as I was getting into it. Uh, I think that your complaints are, are, I mean, not complaints, but your your thoughts are totally valid in there. 
I, I did sort of lose some interest as the end it, it was approaching. It felt a little like, okay, I've read things like this before. But um, Simone Bianchi's such an interesting artist. They're like, the, I like the style and I like a lot of it. But then there's all these like sort of blank backgrounds and weird lines that don't make sense. And it's not necessarily in a way that super impresses me. It's not like Sienkiewicz weird lines. It's more yeah. like... Why does that person have what looks like boils all over their face when I think that you're just trying to do shadows? It's kind of shortcuts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or who colored it? Did Simone Bianchi color it too? Yeah. 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 And there was thing like on the first page, I love this detail with this drink that's being poured and there's just the bubbles and, the, and there's a little creature, some kind of alien worm thing in there. That's beautiful. But things like you said with the backgrounds and some of the way those people look. Yeah, just faces in front of infinite white void. Yeah, I start. Okay, I started losing interest right around the time when, uh, right after he goes back and picks up the kid, and then we get into the stuff about the queen, whatever, and the other bounty hunter. That's when I kind of lost interest. That was actually my my favorite part of the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah, because she's not a queen; it's a hologram, and this other bounty hunter has spent eighteen months, like stalking the guy dressed up like a woman that he wants to marry. And I thought that was really fucking cool. And committing to the bit. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so like those two pages and that reveal, I thought that was really worth it. But yeah, just in general, um, I'll I'll give the next issue a shot. But as soon as you take me out of the story with those Earth references, I I have a really hard time getting back into it. So what do you give it? Give it a six. Hmm. Yeah, I'd go 6.5, 7. Yeah, I'd um, give it a 6. Yeah. I think if I wasn't an asshole about the words monster truck. You, man, talk about trigger warning. That guy yeah. hates the word monster truck. <laughs> yeah, just all I want is a story about a regular old truck. <laughs> he loves truck books. <laughs> Let's talk for a bit about High Level Number 1 by Rob Sheridan, Barnaby Bagenda, and Romulo Ferrardo Jr., this is one of the uh, new Vertigo books coming out from DC. They've released a good number of them at this point since that sort of uh, re-emphasis on Vertigo within the last year. I am going to be absolutely honest with everybody. I really like this writer. Not for any of his writing stuff, but I've met him. He's really nice. He's super intelligent. Uh, I've been following him on Twitter for years and years. He was the art director for Nine Inch Nails for a big oh, yeah. bulk of Nine Inch Nails. He had just sort of made a fan page for it, and then Trent reached out to him and was like, hey, that's a sweet fan page. You want to do my band's website? And he just sort of transitioned into being doing album art for him and all the promotional material and designing clothing. And So this is a designer that wrote a comic? Yeah, a graphic what? designer, and he's just a huge like tech guy. Um, what are his other books? He's never written any other books. Okay. So this okay. is his first one. Cool. And I would say that this has many of the trappings of – what you know what would indicate a first comic for somebody yeah. you know like it's it's pretty text heavy at times there's a lot of exposition dump um some of the language is a little stilty but the world is cool though the world is cool i really like the character design uh designs in general there's some some really nice moments i i, I like this female protagonist what she's working with you know like she's got this sort of interior battle between um, being complacent and being content with the way things are or uh, sort of seeking this this land called high level 
And so I guess this is like a a not America, some some society, some world, if it's America so far in the future or something. But there's this place called the high level where people live and it's it's a society that's built around sort of elevating yourself. You can you can reach higher levels of society, whereas down here on this planet, um, it's kind of a cybernetic wasteland. Yeah, I uh, I I liked it until we got to the high level description like the the people getting up to the other levels um and my guess is that the writer has never uh read or obviously hadn't seen battle angel alito when it when he wrote this yeah because it was a while before the movie came this out. is exactly the cast structure of that hmm. and having this come out two weeks after the movie like i got halfway through this and i was like well fuck this is I just watched this movie. Interesting, and uh, that was that was kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, I need to read that. I don't know about the movie or what the if how rooted on the comics the movie is or like that story. <clears throat> I would be astounded if they were if they made that part of the movie up. I yeah. think that's got to be in the comic, which I haven't read. Yeah, I, and there's some awesome like groups within this. I'm less interested, yeah, in the high-level society, and I think that that place is going to be a sham. I think yeah. that it's, you know, going to be not a utopian, and whether it exists at all. I think right. it might be a myth to try and get people to live a certain way or something like that. But the in terms of the ground-level reality, I, I really like that, and I I think the art's pretty rad. Yeah, uh, I like the art a lot. Yeah, Barnaby Bagenda. I've never read anything where they've done the art in. Uh, again, yeah, some of the character relationships are a little like there's some bits that are are just a little easy or a little connected to you. But uh, I don't know, Roman. What do you think? I didn't read it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, in that case, I won't feel so bad about talking. I read it. Yeah. Oh, I know you did. I liked it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the art's gorgeous. Look at this final page. I love that. I really wanted to like it more than I did. Yeah. Um, and part. So, I guess the amount of things that I found derivative of media that I've consumed very, very recently was kind of a bummer. And I don't think that that's necessarily Rob Sheridan's fault because yeah. um, he probably wasn't comparing notes with Mark Miller when Mark was writing Sharky, which has kind of the same... I'm sure that this script was done six or seven months ago. Yeah, but it's it's that same exact, hey, we got to get a kid from here to there kind of thing. Yeah. Um, just in a a slightly different setting, but still kind of a space age sort of, you know, out of out of our reality setting. Um, and then the, the Battle Angel stuff. Um, that said, I think it's a pretty good version of those things. So um, it's probably more my level of media consumption and uh, personal bias that, that makes it, you know, if I had read this first, I'd probably be more bummed about the other things that, sure. that kind of cross over with it. Yeah, and like I said, I I want to like this, which I think motivates I think ultimately what people like is largely motivated by what they believe they want to like. And mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of this guy, so I'm going to I'm going to keep reading it. Uh, it you know, if it were somebody else, I don't know how my feelings would be, but I have a lot of respect for this guy and he's he's got really great art and I've got some of his stuff hanging in my house and uh big fan of him. So I'm going to I'm going to keep supporting him the best that I can. What do you give it? Um, I'm going to give it an 8 Probably. All right. Yeah, I think any. I think the art's real nice. I think that, man, you know what's crazy is I was saying I've been 
watching a bunch of interviews with, about Darwin Cook lately, and and one thing that in several different interviews he brought up was that when Jack Kirby was doing Jim, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, yeah. that book was canceled and it was selling 200,000 copies of an issue. Jeez. It was co- canceled for such low sales. Now, yes. if you can get to 60,000 copies of a book, oh, that's ridiculous. it's ridiculously good. So I think that as I was reading this, I was thinking, man, this book, I think... I. Th- I think he'll cut his teeth on. I think he's going to grow through a lot of like that easier stuff and like the expositional type stuff. Like I think that, you know, like Transmet, the first trade of Transmet was pretty difficult for me to get through. And I wouldn't say this is the same as Transmet at all, but when you allow a thing to be 50 or 60 issues, it allows a creator to become a stronger creator. Yep. And I this felt like a book that the creator could sort of develop their skills doing. Sure. But... Probably based on sales, you know, no one's really able to do sixty issue books anymore. That that number is ridiculous, um, and I kind of wonder exactly how those numbers break down. Because when Jimmy Olsen was coming out by Jack Kirby, it was being sold in every single grocery store, magazine stand, and uh, fucking gas station in the country mm-hmm. at a returnable, uh, like with returnable terms. Right. So those guys would just they they put it out. They'd write the date that they tear it off the stand and send it back on the front cover. And uh, it, it kind of makes me wonder when people talk about how comics used to have hundreds of thousands of copies printed. Uh, how many of them were actually the being days. bought or how many were yeah. just being consumed by how stores many were being returned? Because really the cost of, of making a comic is nothing. The cost of illustrating it and writing it and producing it like the, it's the actual printing is like the free part for them. And so if they were sending shit out to a billion places and getting them for 10 cents each and selling them for, well, I guess they were probably getting for like three cents each and selling them for a quarter, um, you know, that's a very different thing than uh, the situation that we have now. Yeah, and and you also probably couldn't, like Jack Kirby was doing how many books a month right, to be alive. And and now we do try to make it so people can survive doing one or two books. So like, yeah, it it is more expensive to produce a book now. So sale. Yeah. And part of that, part of what we do is, uh, or what publishers do, a lot of them will farm out their art to overseas, uh, cheaper countries. And, uh, it kind of allows for more American middlemen. What'd you give it? I give it a, I give it a seven. What Um, did you give it? I say seven. (laughs) I'm Jeff. And I'm excited to be back in this room with my boys Django and, and Roman and one day Justin and just sort of sipping on sipping on Roman's Red Museum cup of water. I'm Django, and that is straight vodka, not water. Oh, jeez, Roman, you keep it together. What? <laughs> I would say I'm going to give this high level two more issues to grab me, Yeah, uh, which is a lot more charitable than I am with something I actually don't like. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I want to like it more than I do. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, <clears throat> the Unstoppable Wasp, number, number five, by uh, Jeremy Whitley and art by Kuhu. Guru Hero. Guru Hero. <laughs> um, this issue picked up the threads of the last issue where she had, um, the wasp, Hank Pym's daughter, had smacked around one of her best friends because her friends were concerned because she's been in. Not sleeping, freaked out after this big event a few issues ago. Liter- literally smacked around? Yeah. She, like, shoved her friend across the room into the wall. You think the writer didn't mean to do that? I think they did mean to do this time. <laughs> <laughs> this time. Um, Inside baseball. 
Yep, inside baseball with the Pym family. There you go. But they're confronting her about her. Uh, I know that's not a word. Bipolarism. Bipolar diagnosis, possible yeah, diagnosis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think she's actually had the diagnosis yet. But she's showing all the. She just got through with this big manic episode. Actually, she's, like, she's not quite through it. She flies back into her little lab, beats up her friends some more, and it gets pretty intense. And and she goes into her lab, and one of her friends borrows an old wasp costume and follows her in, and confronts her about it. And the whole issue. Oh wow, the scenes when they're in there are cool. Yeah, the inside structure of this micro lab in this pendant is just beautiful. But the whole issue, it's just her and her, her friend talking about um, uh, the wasp's emotional problems. This hmm. bipolar she admits to her friend, yeah, I've, you know, I've been reading and researching about that forever because of my dad, who was diagnosed that way. And yeah, it looks like I have it, and she's really depressed about it, of course. And the whole issue, other than the initial fighting with her friends, there's no action. It's just the two of them talking about their emotions, talking about her diag- her potential diagnosis and at the end they do have to escape because the something goes wrong with the old suit because it's an antique basically and wasp has to action yeah wasp has to get her out of there before she like grows suddenly but the suit doesn't um (laughs) and that could cause problems seems like you just break the suit you would think so but for some reason she's concerned that the the suit won't break okay but they don't explain why but the gist of the issue is just them talking about her her emotional mental health and it's great i really we we had a pretty long conversation about this previous issue in a podcast where just you and i were on it and uh i did i did really want to read this issue and i can't wait to yeah what well, you know one of the points that her friend makes to her and later janet the original loss makes is you know that and that everybody with dealing with any kind of mental issue like this is you know you're not the diagnosis you're not the whatever the problem is that's that's a piece of you it's, right. it's not you. And at the end, you know, Wasp admits as Elder Wasp is holding her that, you know, I think I'm bipolar and I need help. And there we go. To be continued. It's really interesting that it, it's uh, – is it a rated T or T plus or what's the, what's the target for that book? Mm, T plus. <clears throat> so that's – I mean, you give that to 14-year-olds and – 12-year-olds yeah. before you start worrying about what the parents are going to say to you. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and just, that's and just cool the, to have like a frank discussion about that in a comic. Yeah, it is. And age. just the fact that her friends, you know, despite everything that she inadvertently put them through, they're all there for her at the end and they remind yeah. her of that, that yeah. she's not alone in this. That's mm. great. And one of the nice things, however, every issue they have a somebody in the sciences, this issue, because of the subject matter, they had for the first time a... Um, I think she's a psychologist that they interview mm. and talk about some, yeah, some of those issues. someone who teaches psychology at John Hopkins University. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's a very well done issue. That's that kind of uh, that kind of mental illness has been something that's on my mind lately cuz like not not just uh, bipolar but just kind of brains that don't work how you would expect them to. Like I saw, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or not, but I saw a guy in front of Planned Parenthood screaming and shouting about how they're killing babies and he had gross posters and he's like red in the face and screaming at people across the street who are heckling him. And like, that's not cool, dude. But also how broken is his brain to get to that point? 
and how susceptible is he to whatever information he's found? And at what point do we stop being mad at that guy and start being bummed for that guy, even though the stuff that he's doing is, you know, actively causing harm to people? And, you know, it's not impossible for people who are in a pretty similar brain situation to that guy to get into some type of power and to use that power to convince other people of the stuff that they've been convinced of or, or deluded to believe. You're talking and, about our president? <clears throat> Is this well, getting political? I, no, I, Do we need I to backpedal away from this? I wasn't specifically, but, you know, I, I think that's a totally different situation. But I think that, you know, like there, there are a number of um, like religious leaders or, you know, people who start cults or, you know, just people yeah. in power who can who, who are charismatic enough to bring people to them and are fucked up enough to believe things that are just abjectly, like, provably, demonstrably not true. Yeah. And But but specifically for the guy on the street, like, how many of the guys that walk around downtown, I, I, I'm not mad at those guys. I'm kind of bummed out for them. But it's not hard for somebody who's not thinking in that way to just be pissed off that this guy started shouting at him and calling him a bitch and a cunt and, you know, whoa, like, whatever, whoa. whatever... That happens. Like I know, Erica was walking by our store a while ago, and and somebody like, you know, started talking about her butt, and she yelled at him, and they called her a, right. You know, like that shit happens, and that's a broken brain. I think right. it's really cool to have kind of an entry level. This comic is for kids. Let's kind of teach them that not everybody everybody's brain works. Compassion the way you about want mental it to. health is an incredibly important thing, and yeah, we're not going to be able to get people educated and incapacitated unless we're Giving them, you know, that's why I think art is an, like one of the greatest teaching tools is because it, it teaches you how to introduce concepts like this uh, to a developing brain. It's way harder to learn compassion about something like that, I think, when you're 20 and haven't experienced it than it is to have had some sort of uh, introductory thing like this as a child. Yeah. Uh, so I do think it's really, really awesome to have, you know, pieces of art that are dealing with things like that. I think that comics do that on so many levels. A lot of times they can kind of get dialed into a a, a certain conversation about learning compassion or a certain type of conversation about learning acceptance or fitting in or something. I like this one because it really is, uh, you know, that last issue I really dug, it really was a more unique take on those types of things. And well, and it's it's also very focused. Like comics often are pretty broad strokes. Like you, you could ask somebody, is that what Spider-Man would do? And they wouldn't be able to answer honestly yes if they're being buttholes, right? Right. Um, but this one is is more dealing with a very, very specific situation. Yeah. Yeah, Roman, what would you give it? I'd give it a 10. A 10. Mm-hmm. I like it. Do you think it more than the last <clears throat> issue or not as much? <clears throat> um, I think more. A little more. I mean, just the whole thing is done so well. That That focus, the fact that they've been building up to this. For more than a few issues, it's not just a simple like PSA one page of you know the protector don't do drugs. It's, it's but hey, don't do drugs. But, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, <laughs> Dirk. <laughs> the protector got his in Heroes in Crisis, um, and and just that. <laughs> I was wondering how to... good one, dude. <laughs> that was very topical, uh, and just the, the inclusion in the back of. You know that site, that psychologist, and the thing at the end—the little that's got a hotline there. If you need help, you need to talk to somebody. And none of it's heavy-handed. None of it's—you know—feels like they're just, oh yeah, here, here, toss this off. Here's this number, but it's really exploring the issue. 
Yeah, it is awesome when entertainment Even can the cover. be more than just entertainment. That's a great cover. Yeah, having her father's helmet behind her. Gosh, we got to talk about something, folks. Oh, yeah, let's talk about this. Man, has Wolverine been gone or something? Yeah. Was he? He was. Charles, <laughs> Charles Soule created an event to do the death of Wolverine. Yeah. For no reason that really made sense. And then they were paralyzed with fear of how to bring him back or something? It was just, I feel like they're like, oh, in a year we're really going to need Wolverine. We should probably undo that death thing now. This, to me, indicated that the death of Wolverine was simply to get sales for the death of Wolverine because this Return of Wolverine number 5 by Charles Soule and Steve McNiven um, was real rough. I thought I thought the death of Wolverine was so they could so they could then bring Old Man Logan into the into the focus. I think him I feel like it was the other way. I think him really? coming into the fold was just to make sure there was still Wolverine comics that could be coming out. Oh, okay. um, but I think that it was sort of a, a sales thing when it when it happened. Yeah, and this return of Wolverine um, <laughs> was not very good. No, we read the first issue and talked about it here, and and it, it was it was confusing and a mess. And... I read the second and third and decided to stop. I read all of them <laughs> and wish that I had <laughs> stopped. I, I only read number one and, and number this five. Is <laughs> the, like the roughest Steve McNiven art I've ever seen. He hasn't. It's been Declan Shalvey, right? Declan Shalvey did two through four, yeah. Okay. Because Steve McNiven apparently can't keep up with a book or, or something. Mm. I think a lot of what's rough about this is the ink. I think maybe Steve McNiven generally does ink himself, and he didn't in this. Yeah, sorry, Jay Leaston. This is uh, it's like Steve McNiven drawn with his left hand, kind of. But yeah, and he's and he's trying to imitate, obviously, um, Barry Windsor Barry Smith. Smith. Yeah, which is that's cool. Yeah, but um, it, mu- it must have been kind of awkward for him, maybe. But it looks like almost anybody trying to imitate Barry Windsor Smith. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, that's that's the part of this that I really like, actually, because he's <laughs> he's nailing some of the poses and all the cross hatching. But but um, <laughs> yeah, we have this villain named Persephone who bought brought Logan back. She can bring people back from the dead. She's got some space station where she wants people that she de- deems deserve a second chance to usher in another world or something and but, but she's not going to matter till she's in a movie sure and then wolverine crashes the whole ship and takes it down to earth and he's all burnt and he shows up at the xavier mansion again at the end and i just <laughs> i'm astounded at like how little it seems like charles soul who can do some great writing seems to know or care about this character or, or world I, yeah, that surprised me too. Because like his Daredevil's great, his She-Hulk was great. This, and admittedly, I didn't read issues two, three, and four, so I had no idea about this Persephone person until I happened to pick this up this afternoon, and I didn't know that's why Wolverine came back. Is that true? Is that she actually brought him back? I Wasn't mean, just his healing factor. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, she brought him back. Okay. Did she stop his healing factor? I think we have to assume that. Like in Death of Wolverine, the impression we got was that like his healing factor was it was adamantium poisoning, right? broken down or adamantium poisoning. He was encased in it and wouldn't have been able to get out. And I don't know. Man, all I really want is to find out if he was shitting and pissing himself in that adamantium case. And like, did he did his fingers and toes get wrinkled like so when you're in the bathtub? Was, if everyone was <laughs> curious if Django was back or not, Django's back, and, and he's good. And if his healing factor was working, then they 
they would instantly unwrinkle and then wrinkle. Holy shit. Do you know why your fingers wrinkle in the tub or in uh, a perfectly body-shaped encasement? Are they absorbing (laughs) liquid? It's so that you have grip. Like evolutionarily, it's so that you can grip things underwater. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, Marty. That's pretty cool Cool. So uh, what do you you give that that action-packed, (laughs) Persephone-filled, burned-up Wolverine? Oh, I want to hear what Roman's thoughts on it and his score is. Oh, jeez. Uh, I, I kind of like some of the close-ups of Wolverine's face. <laughs> that was quite my, the selling point. That was Two stars. Roman was looking biggest, on the bright side. That was the biggest enjoyment I got out of these. I liked all his grimacy faces and that hair. Um, Can you give me that piece of paper? <laughs> I was like, oh, man. So, I was like, this Wolverine. They have all these different Wolverines she brought out. And that one, I was like, how does she even know about that one? That was like in the past. I don't know. Uh, I'll give it a... I think I'll give it like a, a four, maybe a five. And apparently this happens. I was wondering, where does this happen? So this has happened right after he dies. <clears throat> it leads right into the first issue of Wolverine Infinity Watch, which also I think came out this week. It did, and we sold out, and I wasn't around to reorder it. Yeah, and I didn't read that. So I guess that's the story of Wolverine with the Infinity Stone he had for a while and then gave to Black Widow. And all this happens before the latest issues of Uncanny X-Men. Yes. Do I, do I have that yeah. right? Is yep. that the timeline? Yep. Okay. Because he shows up there at the end. Okay. Because I thought everybody already knew he was back, blah, blah, blah. But, well, he does. But these, uh, I'm confused. Did Steve Dillon draw this page? Steve Dillon is dead, and that is in poor taste, and you love that man. <laughs> so why don't you just back off? <laughs> could have drawn it before he died. That was a long time ago. Like I mean, that's four years ago, wasn't it? It's it's a page with all these wolverines in jail cells. Like, yeah. that could be a uh, just a scene that somebody drew before they died. I give it a four and a half. It's and got an awesome cover. Any yeah, <laughs> anything below a five is almost the same to me. Of just like, <laughs> man, exponential uh, uh, yeah, exponential growth for me. The difference between a, the quality of a nine and a ten is drastic. The difference between an eight and a nine not not quite as drastic as a nine and a ten. Um, but you know, there's not much change between a zero and a five. For did you me. actually draw a little a little chart there? I did. I drew a, a graph, graph so that there was a visual representation wow. of what I feel like the change in quality versus score is. Wow. Exponential growth. We put a we, well, not we. Jeff puts a lot of thought and thought into his scoring. Um, <laughs> I well, think that's our score. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can't speak to other people. I think that you guys are better about giving lower scores than I do. I I rarely go under a five, and I think it's because if it's a five or less, it's pretty much a a, a thumbs down to me. You find you find merit in just like the basic creation of a comic and I, I, I respect I think, that I think, I think art's pretty cool to exist at all yeah if, if you can manage to get a comic book out I think you deserve a couple of points for I that. agree yeah it's exactly how I feel yeah. the only the only comic I would probably give a one to other than whatever comics I've already given ones to would be like comics that are half done and never finished um, we read a couple of those on the flight back home oh yeah Oh, yeah. Those, I would give more than one. Yeah, those were good. We got some advanced reader copies of some of the new DC Inc. and Zoom books, and they're actually really rad. I think I already gave it a four or five. Four or five. Listen, you know how hard it was for Andre the Giant to get drunk? Yeah. How hard do you think it would be for Wolverine to get drunk? The same. Yeah, I don't think he can. Or, well, or he, or he jumps does, out but, of the fucking water and says, I want a beer. Does he I just think, like the way beer tastes? Because yeah. nobody would like the way beer tastes if it didn't get him drunk. Well, there's that. I think he can probably yeah. drink an, an or, amount. Or, or, or he gets drunk and then, like, you know, 
10 minutes later is perfectly sober. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet that's it. That's I bet he it. can take like several shots of whiskey and feel a little drunk for 20 minutes. He can grow his fucking skin back in nine seconds, guys. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know you're about right. that one. Oh, that reminded, this cover reminded me one line in this I really did like. What's that? When he gets blasted out of the spaceship he's on, grabs onto the hole, crawls <laughs> around to some other thing, cuts yeah. his way in, and he tells and he threatens the guy inside going, you know, I just did that, crawled around the outside in space. Don't mess with me. That was a good <laughs> yeah. line. Let me drive. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear about Black Badge number seven, Django, because I haven't read any since five, so I guess I haven't read six and seven, and I was really liking this book. How's it going? I think you should pick it back up, and I think you should jump back to uh, six. Yeah. Um, five probably started the competition yeah. between the different badges. This one tells us all about the white badge, which is they seem in my mind like Eris from uh, like the Eris group from the Illuminatus trilogy. Right. Um, they are just kind of sowing very subtle confusion and disaster in order to affect chaos. Issue six was what group? The blue group. I don't remember what issue six was. Okay. But they've been just doing... The pink group, right? Like it was the girls in issue six, I think. Okay. Um, And this is the white group. And like, um, so like they, the white group showed up, they're playing songs with weaponized harmonicas designed to put the audience of ambassadors into comas um, just to delay peace talks. Or uh, in in, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina... They they sent 15 Nobel Peace Prize winning scientists to the hospital with a sonic attack, Ooh. just like making them barf and shit themselves. Well, that was why you liked it. You love a poop. <laughs> you, that's why you like me yeah. is because I poop my pants as often as I do. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you. Oh, beans. I, I like it too, Jeff. Dirt, go home, buddy. <laughs> Listen, motherfucker. Oh, stop saying that. It's insensitive. Um, they, like they hid crickets in uh, diplomats. Uh, hotel rooms to to derail. Well, you don't need a special badge to do like, that. Crickets are scary as shit. They're just they're just doing like very <laughs> subtle. Uh, the bumper sticker marketing campaign that led to the recent riots in downtown Los Angeles, and it shows bumper stickers that say "Killing Time." That that is some of my favorite shit. It's like the uh, the stickers that came from the Illuminatus trilogy that I monkeyed and and put out, uh, where it just says "No smoking, no spitting." Thank you. And uh, in the book, you put those up in fancy department stores so that uh, fancy people feel talked down to. And they're a little bit mad the whole time they're in that store. And I love that kind of really low-level psychological warfare. It's it, In real life... Uh, I'm surprised you're not more aware of how burnt down you're being by Justin and I then. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. In real life, uh, people think that you have to watch out for razor blades in apples on Halloween and, and poison in candy. That's never happened. That's a thing that has actually never been reported. But it's a thing that we've been afraid of since the mid-80s, right? And there was... Tell that to the kids that went Halloweening at my house this year. Hey! <laughs> Dirk, shut up. <laughs> hey! He didn't eat any of your apples, dipshit. Nobody likes to eat apples. That's true. Um, God, that was mean. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call I you like, dipshit. I like apples. I meant dink. You dup, you dup shut? You know how... Uh, I, I don't know if, you're, if, if you remember before all medication and milk and everything had like a seal over it so you could tell if it had been tampered with. Yeah. That was because uh, somebody got caught putting um, poison in aspirin bottles, I think it was. Oh. 
and they thought that it was somebody at grocery stores, like going into grocery stores and poisoning them. Is that you, Roman? It turned out it was no. somebody at the fucking factory. <laughs> yeah. But we have this new rule that everything <coughs> has to be like tamper proof after it leaves the factory. And so like that's what these guys are doing. They're affecting these kinds of things in the future. And uh ow. I really like the uh I just really like that implication. And then there's a good action scene where the black badge has to go up against the white badge and it turns out that it's the kid who's been teased for being kind of a a fat chunk that uh ends up saving everybody. And every time he does it like he uh he's about to get captured and he, he says escape badge and, gets away. <laughs> and then he like lifts the guy his, his buddy up out of the water to save his life oh deadlift badge um <laughs> judo badge it's uh it's it's really kind of cool to see these characters you know fighting fighting the actual bad guys um and there, there's a lot of a lot of like intrigue plot developments in this issue. I want to get back onto it. I I, yeah. I loved it. I mean, I loved Grass Kings, but it, I think it. I think I was out of town one week or something. And man, being out of town one week is just does disasters for your continuity. And I was super not down with the first couple of issues mm-hmm. of this, and I kept reading it because I I wanted to trust this team, and uh, it's really, for me anyway, it's really paid off. Just just the first three pages of this have so much information and so much imagination on ways to fuck with the world indirectly. Uh, and that's that's something I really appreciate. Hey, listen, man. Uh, anarchy is for lovers. Naomi number two. <laughs> so oh, here's the thing I, I would, about... I would give that a... I'd give that an eight. The thing about uh, Naomi number two is that I just want to... I just want to do a little thing for you, Roman. Yes? When I realized this, I... Got real pretty pumped about it. Someone told it to me. I didn't realize it. Um, you remember Naomi One that Superman was fighting Mongol and all that jazz? Yeah, I remember that. Do you yeah. remember that in like a month later in Superman he had to take off and fight Mongol because he was really pissed mm. off? That was that fight. Oh my god! You're so, right. Like, I didn't Superman put that beat together, the shit out yeah. of, and it's because I think that issue of Superman was delayed, so it came out after Naomi. But I really love that. Like he just got pissed and beat the shit out of Mongol. They skipped around yeah. the country a little bit. Wow, but clever, Bendis. Na- yeah. yeah, and wow. it's just an instance of like <laughs> him having this really uh, tightly woven continuity that he gets to be in charge of. And I, I, when I realized that, I thought that is very cool. Yeah, that is. Wow, I can't believe that. I so well done. I, I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, me neither. That being said, um, I don't <clears> know. <throat> uh, I haven't had a chance to read this book yet. Oh, um, well. Uh, Naomi number two, she goes back and confronts the mechanic because she knows something's up with that. He knows something. Um, he kicks her out of her garage, locks the door, and he and he runs away on his motorcycle. She sees him. She goes around back and sees him take off. And she's like, what the hell? This mechanic was uh, a character in the end of the first issue was sort of implying that he knew something about where she was really from. Yeah, I think he had a picture of he was just the only one who was willing to admit that uh, on the the last time a superhero showed up in the town, it was the time that she yeah, it was when she was born. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so so in this, you know, then she goes home. She's having dinner with her folks, and she starts asking them, you know, the tough questions. Going, you know, who is D, the mechanic, to us? Why, you know, he seems, I feel like he knows something. She asks who her biological parents are. She asks if D is her biological father, and the parents change the subject. Who's D? That's the mechanic. mechanic. Okay. Yeah. The guy that told her um, that she was born the last right. time a superhero. Was well, they don't change the subject, but they tell her that's a huge leap. You know, we love you, blah, blah, blah. It's not. 
They kind of dodge. Yeah, they dodge it. They dodge it. That's why is this coming up now? Um, dude, I'm flipping through this, and the art in it is still amazing. The art is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Any halftone dots in there, Django? I didn't no, actually, see any. that is totally gone. They're using like blurred backgrounds instead, which is I didn't notice that. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, all right, all right, all right, my <laughs> halftone savior. I trust. Um, Naomi does have a dream with some kind of looks like some kind of intergalactic battle or something going on, and I'm not sure if this woman she sees is herself in the a future. Oh maybe? yeah, oh yeah. That's the impression I got. Um, she doesn't know what that's about, and she wakes up from the dream and goes down to the to Dee's garage and to try and explore. And she gets in. Oh, that's that's where she finds this picture, um, and then Dee catches her. Is it Dee and her in the picture? It looks like Dee and her mom, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dee is big enough to maybe be some sort of hero himself. Could be. He's got all these interesting tattoos, and yeah, I mean, he catches her, and that's the end of the issue. With her asking, "Who is she?" What do you? What did you think about it? That's a summary. What were your feelings, both of you guys? Because I'm, I, I, I really want to read this. I liked it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna continue reading. It felt like we ended in exactly the same place we ended in issue one, well, except that we true. know that her parents know that she knows that something's wrong, and it's like. <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed it, but when when we got to the end, I was like, "Well, fuck you, Bendis. We're in the same place." And if you're gonna spend the next issue with D avoiding her and her asking her friends and them not being able to tell her anything, mm. and then we're gonna end up with her finding D again, and then he can't tell her anything yet. Yeah, it, it's a little goofy. Yeah, he, he can't do that for the third issue for sure. And, and I, I I can see that as a complaint. We do know this character way more at the end of this issue, it seems, than we did at the first issue, and we know her family more. And for me, and, and like I don't want to rewrite Bendis's writing because I'm not that good at that. But I would rather have had a different cliffhanger for number one yeah. and fit this character building into the first issue. Give us some hints towards the fact that she might be a superhero, but like don't give us the same cliffhanger with the same two yeah. people two issues in a row. The character work is why I'm going to read the next issue. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the plot because the plot could have been done in like three pages. And yeah, I see that. Though I also feels, I guess, I don't know, maybe kind of realistic because how old is she supposed to be? Um, it's like 15 or 16, I think. Yeah. So I wouldn't expect her to solve it any more than she has. You know what this just tells us? What's that? Time is a flat circle. Well, that's all right <laughs> with me, Marty. I like to sort of start where I began and end where I started. <laughs> <laughs> I would give uh, Naomi number two... A seven. Mm-hmm. If it had half tone dots, oh. it would have got a seven and a half. If you hadn't played that out, was, it would have got a half, seven and unless, a half. <laughs> unless they were used incorrectly, it could have gone down to a 6.5. Uniformly incorrectly? Absolutely. <laughs> would have gone down to a two. <laughs> I, I'm into that. Fix your fucking half tone dots. That's people. not how you sell a fucking half tone. To quote Roman from <laughs> what book? From was that, that other Bendis book. Uh, oh, yeah, it was one Pearl the number one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pearl, yeah. Which I haven't read an issue since because of that damn spider. That damn spider. Well, the first volume has ended, so uh, oh. you could read it all if you wanted I to. I could. I want to talk for a second about American Carnage number four by Brian Hill, Leandro Fernandez, and Dean White on colors. I don't think we've talked about this book since issue one. I would believe I don't think that. So. It's amazing. It's amazing. I read one, two, and three. I reread one and then read two and three the week that three had come out. Uh, because I had listened to a podcast with the writer, and he he really, 
impressed me. And since I read number three, I was just really, I've been waiting every week for this book to come out. I've been really excited about it. It feels like scalped set in, uh, in an inner city. So like very kind of not even scalped wasn't a huge mystery, but it was like, uh, FBI work mixed with, uh, comments on race. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is changed settings, changed races that they're commenting on. And, uh, just kind of the, um, American relationship with, uh, white supremacists and black people. It, uh, gosh, I love, I love the story in the broad sense of the cop who goes undercover and spends so much time undercover that they can no longer identify with where they are. You know, Donnie yeah. Brasco, uh, scalped, um, so many other stories, true detective. true detective. Yeah, absolutely. There's a portion <clears throat> of that in season one. And I love that idea of what is the structure of our personality? Who are we? And is it a thing that, you know, we know that behaviors change our beliefs. If you do, even if you believe contrary to something, if you act in a certain way long enough, it changes your beliefs to mirror, mirror your behaviors. I love that inconsistency within humanity, and this book does a really good job. You know, he's not lost yet, but we have this good guy who's pretending to be a bad person with bad people, and it's really compelling, and the art is absolutely wonderful. I love I love that Leander Fernandez is doing this. He was doing Old Guard. He also did The Discipline before that. Um, the Old Guard was just turned in. It's going to be turned into a movie with Scarlett Johansson, I believe. Yep. I hope that this guy finishes this book before going back to another arc of Old Guard because of the the heat from the movie. Because this has got a really special vibe to it. And a lot of that is the art to me. I hope this is a 60-issue run. I know. I do, too. But Brian Hillard says that at the end of this coming year, he's transitioning back to movies. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is, you know, only 12 or so more issues. Motherfucker. But I could be totally wrong. That's just me hypothesizing. No, I I heard that interview with him, too. That'd be a bummer, though. Yeah. It would be because this is just well done, and it's like, you know, it's it's aggressive. It's got a lot of really uh, aggressive, not pretty language in it, and things happening. But also, like, there's these scenes of, well, you pointed this out on the airplane as you were reading it before me. But um, there's an awesome couple scenes where uh, this female character has a, a daughter, and she's deaf, and our main protagonist. Uh, is able to use sign language. So the way that they communicate is through sign language, but the way that they communicate that through the comic book is these cool, interestingly shaped word balloons coming off their hands that are sort of uh, indicative of, like, if you remember David Aja Aha uh, in Hawkeye with Matt Fraction, the way that um, the dog communicated thought with almost like infographic balloons coming out of things. Uh, there's a touch of that. It's just an innovative way to com- communicate. And you say that it, it's aggressive. I think the, the characters are aggressive, but I think the storytelling is really subtle. Like yeah, I just mean like of... the N-word and oh, all yeah. the like r- racial slurs that are in it. And and that's that's like an important part of this story. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, but at the same time, like as, as distracting and kind of shocking as what the people are saying and how they're acting is – uh, I think there are a lot of much more subtle interactions going on and, and very subtle um, things happening in, in the characters' minds that you're not necessarily seeing or even really being 
led to understand, but you have to kind of infer that from from the way that the story is being told and, and the art and their, their expressions. And and it does that thing that Scalp does, not to continuously compare it to Scalp, but I think that we will because that's, you know, it, honestly as high of a compliment as I can pay to a book. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, like he's penetrating this secret organization that is run by like racist white supremacists and he's trying to get at this politician and he's sort of doing it through that politician's daughter who is also part of this organization and then her daughter, that guy's daughter has a daughter, that's the deaf child. But like you you start to sympathize with this woman at times who is conflicted about her place in this organization but also she's a bad racist. Is she conflicted? I don't, yeah, probably not but she's crying at one point and then you start being feeling bad about this daughter and that she's mm-hmm. trapped in all this and he's trying to make her feel better but then you're like, this daughter is going to be raised in a system that's going to turn her into a racist monster. Yep. So it is this question of, like, are these all bad people? What makes a person bad? Is it the system that they're raised within? Uh, what are their beliefs, if not just the byproduct of how they're raised? Yep. And then how do our beliefs, uh, you know, stand in opposition to that when we're in that organ, like in that group and pretending? It's, it's just so gray, which mm. is, you know, what I loved about Scalped and love love loved this issue like every every issue of it has been phenomenal so i would give this one a 9.5 for all those reasons wow i give it a nine yeah and the series so far jump on it yeah everyone should like we're not ordering a ton of it i really want to be ordering more of it like this is one of the the better books coming out on the stands right now but it's not of a subject matter that i think is immediately accessible to everybody but roman i think that you would really like it we read and sell a lot of things that are just kind of throwaway entertainment, but this one feels kind of important. Yeah, and I hope that it gets, I hope that it gets the a, a length of publication that matches what the creators want and like the story that they have to tell. I hope that it's exactly successful enough for them to finish their story and not so successful that they have to stretch it out. Because yeah. I think either one of those would hurt the the thrust of this thing. Uh, Stuart Shrek, if you're still at this point on the podcast, I need you to make sure y'all keep printing American Carnage. Shrek, I'm looking at you, buddy. You took out that thing about his shoes, right? I took out the thing about his shoes. I took out that awesome... I mean, I took out the bit about how much we love his new beardless face because I didn't want to hurt, it, hurt his feelings you know, about the beard, but he looks so sharp shaved. He does. He does. And... Honestly, he looked pretty sharp bearded too. He did. You know what he does is he just exudes kindness. Yeah. And just in sweetness all over. I just want to give him a hug. Yeah. I uh, I got a high five from him at some point. Fuck, you're so lucky. Am I lying? Did I, I got a high five <laughs> from somebody? That was me. She, wow, she Marty. I got a high five from somebody that I was really excited would even deign to touch me. I still didn't get to talk to Dan Didio, but I wrote an email that I'm going to send all those buddies. Hmm. Um and hopefully, hopefully Dan will call me on my personal cell phone. And it sounds, it sounds like Dan's a nice guy. Yeah, I think he is a nice guy. He's very straight up. Yeah, he's like, pretty straight up. And when he's mad, you know he's mad. And when he's irritated, you can tell he's irritated. But I appreciate people that are transparent. I don't know if you're keeping all that in, but I had something else I wanted to say about uh, American Carnage. I'm definitely keeping it all in. Um, there's a there's a thing, and I I, I guess I'm just kind of taking this at its word, but I read that there's a difference in the way that Republican versus Democrat brains work. I would believe that. And well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, like people, 
Maybe I shouldn't even say Republican versus Democrat. Well, I was just going to say is it's whatever you're saying, like maybe there's just a difference in the way people's brains work. And yeah. of one type of brain, you're drawn to a political spectrum. And then one type of the other brain, you're drawn to a political spectrum. And, and when I say Republican versus Democrat, I guess I mean the uh, propensity for people who claim Republican as, as their party of choice right now tend to uh, kind of other – different people mm-hmm. and and push them away and shun them and th- the the article that i read was kind of had, had the idea that they were doing that be- uh, as kind of a leftover thing from the caveman days where you had to do that for survival well yeah in group out group dynamics are yeah is an evolutionary thing for right. sure like right. us versus them you know, in group, out group is, is a way that we're able to divine, define uh, who's going to protect us. Who do we protect? We have limited right. resources, you know. Yeah. Right. And so, like, in, in this group, you've in, in American Carnage, you've got this uh, three-generation family that is maybe hardwired to be racist and maybe socialized to be racist. And so, like, the dad, unapologetic, fuck y'all. The daughter is maybe a little bit conflicted and the granddaughter hasn't really been decided yet. Now, interestingly, the granddaughter is deaf. It will be very interesting to see how behaviors are learned when you're not actually like hearing those those yeah. ideas taught to you. If you're visually only seeing it but it's not tied to an auditory stimulus, it's very interesting to think, you know, how uh, ingrained those behaviors would 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 be. Good point. Um, let's wrap this motherfucker. Let's wrap it up because up. we've got so much stuff to do. And it's getting late, and you know it's it's, <clears throat> it's been crazy. And I hope that I can just get this out tomorrow. And I appreciate everybody for being chill with it being late. Donnie um, Cates wrote a little comic. He wrote a little comic called Venom Number Eleven. One, one. Ryan Stegman, <laughs> J.P. Myers. I love a J.P. Myers book. Joshua Cassara, also on pencils, who did his own inking. Frank Martin on colors. He related to Justin Cassara, who works at the shop. Oh, I love that guy. Um, nay, uh, spoilers on this one. There's a big spoiler on this issue. So if you're reading Venom, you don't want to know that yet. I apologize. I would just skip this last book. Um, this is, Roman, did you read this? Did anyone read this? I didn't read it. I read it. Okay. But I read it totally out of context. So I think you should talk about it and I'll tell you what I think. We've been following up on this whole, uh, Eddie has cancer and the symbiote has been keeping him alive. And it, it sort of strengthens the idea that Eddie needs the symbiote because if he were to lose the symbiote, this cancer would destroy who he is. Uh, we ended the last issue with the Maker, who is the ultimate universe, evil Reed, Fantastic Four, uh, doing some shady stuff on him. And ultimately what we learn in this issue is that the symbiote has been planting memories in Eddie that create a sense of need from Eddie towards the symbiote. So... Um, we find out that like Eddie, who's talked about his sister a couple times in the series, he's able to realize that he never had a sister and his little brother actually is not his little brother. Uh, and those are memories that were planned for him. And he's always, uh, I think it was like his mom who he had seen had cancer and somebody else in his family had had cancer. He realized that those memories were planted in him from the symbiote. And what we realize at the end is that his little brother is actually his son, which so, is a pretty big thing. So do you think that this whole series, because we've, we've been learning more and more about the symbiote and how it's been 
like this isn't the first time that we found out that the symbiote has been kind of tricking Eddie, mm-hmm. right, and and not giving him the whole truth. Do you think that this is an allegory for, um, like, spousal abuse or like domestic abuse? Because this is just like superhero gaslighting right here, right? Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's got something to do with like spousal abuse and dependence. I also think like some drug addiction, drug dependence stuff. Like when yeah. you believe that you need a thing, uh, that thing has a tendency to be convincing you that you need it when you don't need it. I think people mm-hmm. who you know are addicted to real tough drugs uh, believe that they need it. And if you want to, you know, you can look at that belief that they need it from a lot of different ways. You can also sort of personify the substance. Yeah. And. And, and sort of address it like, you know, heroin makes somebody think that they need heroin to be who they are when in reality they don't. It, it, like it, black symbiote tar heroin. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very good. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dirk. Yeah, Dirk. It's, he's not. Uh, he's going to unfriend me on Facebook after I send him this. Are you friends with him? Oh, yeah. God, you're so connected, yeah. Moby I just never heard guy. his voice. I, I always saw like... Oh, hey, we're moving into a new building today. <laughs> and now I would know. Oh, hey. We're I found a new building to smoke in today. That's <laughs> uh, wow. where I drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> all my whiskey has always gone down the wrong pipe. That's why I talk like this. <laughs> I only have the one pipe. I used to have a melodious voice. <laughs> you should hear my early, early albums. Um, so, I, you it know. Sounds, it sounds like Kate's is really expensive. It really taken to heart and exploring like the definition of symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, that's actually a, yeah, an interesting way. To, yeah, that's, I think that's for sure what he's doing. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. Although yet. this is less symbiotic and more parasitic. It is right. Like yeah, Venom except, Ed, except been... Eddie is like staying alive. Through, well, through he the doesn't Venom. have the cancer. It sounds. Like. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, it sounds oh, that like that the too? symbiote's been convincing him he has the cancer. Ah. I think. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it's. It's real manipulative. I really like it. I could understand why people who have a really strict sense of who they think Venom is and what the symbiote is, I could really understand them not liking this. If you've read every issue of Lethal Protector, you know, and and read all the Venom miniseries. There's only five. (laughs) I think there was two Lethal Protector series. Oh, fuck. Uh, And lots of other Venom series. But I haven't read all that stuff. I I know Venom through Spider-Man. I could see people not liking this for that they're doing he's sort of doing what he wants with the character of eddie and the character of the symbiote he's the king of the retcon he is yeah donnie retcon donnie retcon (laughs) it's not all about butts roman Uh, come on (laughs) but yeah i um yeah i really i really really like this and uh i I think the art is beautiful yeah, well, the, the art is beautiful. I wish that Ryan Segman had done all of it, but it's not super clear even which ones he did do and didn't do. I read this after only kind of spot reading. I, I've probably read three or four issues out of the whole series so far, mm-hmm. and uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't get the same impact from the uh, brother turning into the son or the like any of that, but, but I did catch some parallels between like the dad's abusiveness reflected in this issue versus um, the symbiote's abuses, uh, abusiveness towards Eddie and uh, just kind of that I don't know it's it, there, there's a lot of a lot of echoes happening in this issue yeah he's doing he's doing really interesting stuff yeah uh, I like it I give this one an 8.5 not the best issue of the series 
But <clears> it's an issue that I really liked, and it made me want the next one, and it made me happy that I'm reading all of them so far. Out of the blue, reading it without any, without a whole lot of background, I'd give it a seven and a half, maybe an eight. What it do? What it do? What it do? Um, folks, we appreciate you being patient with this one being late. We appreciate um, this one being a hurried one. Um, and I hope to be back on schedule in about two or three days with as many people here as we can get, being just goofy in the evening. <laughs> we got, we, hey, listen, we, under, we, we turned over some rocks this week. We got some serious points. We talked about politics. We talked about uh, mental, mental health. health. Yeah. We talked about um, bad words. We talked about parasitic relationships. Talked about whiskey going down the wrong pipe. We talked about that. Dirk talked about that. And we talked about our favorite topic, which is Shrek. And uh, listen, we hope that everybody will tune in for us uh, on more episodes of Shrek Watch. But as it stands, I'm Jeff. Love the comics. Love the shop. Love my boys. Love my girls. Um, and we'll see you uh, next week. I'm Dirk Wood, creative <laughs> director at IDW. <laughs> I'm Django. I'm glad to be uh, back in uh, back in the saddle. I'm going to switch these uh, comfy chairs out for saddles, Jeff. I like that idea. <laughs> I'm Roman, and now I've just got uh, that song by Aerosmith stuck in my head. Back in the saddle again. Thanks, Django. Mm. I thought that was a. Uh... Was that? Did somebody do that before Aerosmith? I don't know. I'm just trying to show Roman a picture. Maybe, maybe of this it was. Maybe it's a little country song. I don't know. Why does he need a picture? I'm right here. <laughs> wait, wait, what's that say? Multnomah County Courthouse. He's probably trying to get off some <laughs> That's like, some drug possession like... charge or something. <laughs> that looks like angry. Steve. This is them at the. This is them at the auction. That's the leader of Boom and okay. Dirk. The previous p- picture, it looked like, like angry guy. Steve Myers as a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> Listen, Philip can take the, over that auction any day. <laughs> I don't even care. <laughs> we got to get out of here. We're making jokes only for ourselves. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.